the scripture that Kristen read for us is found in the Bible underneath your seat on page 918, if you'd like to refer to it. Um, I'd like to begin this morning by casting aside what I was taught 40 years ago this fall uh, in a freshman speech class at Abilene Christian University. Uh, and I'd like to begin with two apologies. You're not supposed to do this when you start speaking. <laughs> um, apology number one uh, is to anyone offended or bothered by the fact that the guest preacher is wearing jeans. <laughs> this is not any kind of statement. I am not out to modernize uh, the, the church or the ministry. What happened is, I dropped off all my slacks at the dry cleaners on Thursday, and I remembered that that's where they were a half hour after the dry cleaners closed on Saturday. I'm, I'm glad I recently bought jeans, I guess. Apology number two uh, is for the fact that uh, you came for a sermon. What you're going to get is going to start off at least sounding a lot like a lecture. Um, this is the danger when you invite a prof to preach. It, you, know, you, you push the wrong button on a prof, you get a lecture pops out. Uh, so I think we may get to something that is like a sermon. Paul is preaching in Romans. Um, Paul's letters are written sermons, written to be shared with the congregation. <coughs> Romans is kind of a long sermon. Uh, you know, if you arrive at church and Romans were read, uh, uh, well, we'd be late to Lucas uh, <laughs> if that were to happen. So if I don't get quite to sermon status this morning, you can go home and read Romans and, uh, and be blessed uh, in that way. What I want to talk about this morning is the heart of the gospel as it's presented to us, especially in the letters of Paul. In a few minutes, we are going to uh, recite together our confession of faith as we do every Sunday. Uh, the confession that we recite is the Apostles' Creed. That is a uh, confession, a statement of the Christian faith written to be, or originally, to be uh, expressed in connection with baptism. Uh, this is the faith that you confess as you were being baptized, dates from the 8th or 9th century uh, uh, thereabouts. You can find versions of it, ancestors of it, uh, as early as the 2nd century. Everything that's said in it, you can find uh, in the New Testament. Uh, and, that's, uh, and that's why you confess it. Well, um, if you open the letters of Paul and start reading, Paul's letters are the earliest writings by a Christian that we have. So when we listen in to Paul's letters, um, we are hearing some of the first preaching and teaching uh, that was ever offered uh, 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 to Christians. If we look around in Paul's letters, we find um, a predecessor of the Apostles' Creed. We find what uh, I think, and others who have studied this thing, is the earliest expression of Christian faith that Christians made at baptism. And we hear it uh, in the reading that Christians shared with, it, uh, with us. Um, it's In Greek, it's three words. <coughs> in English, it's four. Uh, well, 
actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, what we see in Romans chapter 10 is the three-word confession, Jesus is Lord. That's, as it happens, that can be two or three words in Greek. It's three words in English. We all good with that? Okay. Jesus is Lord is uh, the confession that Paul uh, refers to here that people declare when they become Christians, when they publicly confess their faith in Christ and are baptized into Him. What Paul's doing throughout the letter to the Romans, he's doing a number of things. He's writing to exhort the Roman church. He's writing to introduce himself to the Roman church. He's never visited there in person, though he knows folks who are members of the church. He is also writing, and we heard a bit of this in the reading from chapter 10, he is also writing to prepare for ministry that he wants to conduct beyond Rome in Spain. And so, in a way, what Paul is doing in the letter to the Romans is he is making his application to the missions committee of the Roman church. Here is work I want to do for the Lord. I want to take the gospel to a place where it's never been taken before. That's what Paul did. I want to preach in Spain. And I want to assure you that the faith that I will take to Spain is the faith that we share. Paul is one of those preachers that people talk about and disagree about. Uh, Paul had very strong convictions and fought for them. And there were folks on the other side of some of his convictions, and the church in its first generation worked through those issues and came out on, on Paul's side. Um, so, Paul writes, he tells us this in chapter 3, he writes knowing that some folks in Rome have heard unflattering things about him. And in part, he writes the letter to set before them the faith that he teaches and teaches others to confess, uh, the understanding of the gospel that he shares uh, with that he shared with people all over the Eastern Mediterranean by this point. And he writes to reassure the Romans that if you partner with me in ministry to Spain, this is the faith that I'll take there. It's the faith that you confess. It's the faith that we share. And so he refers in the reading that we've heard to the word of faith that we preach. You'll notice from the reading how many times Paul refers to the scriptures the scriptures of the Old Covenant. Um, he quotes from Isaiah. He quotes from Joel, the verse, the one who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, uh, and he begins by quoting from Deuteronomy, kind of an obscure uh, uh, passage, and, and Paul takes it to refer to, right, who, who will go up into heaven uh, 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 who will go down into the abyss. Paul takes that to refer to uh, the incarnation of Christ, right? If no one has to go up into heaven and, and pull Christ down to the earth, he comes of his own accord uh, freely, as we've sung about this morning. In this song that was new to me, let all together praise our God, but that is really wonderful. Um, the, the words of that song, 
uh, are, are themselves a terrific statement of the heart of the gospel. And it might be that the preacher should just sit down so that we can sing that song again. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, we'll keep going. <laughs> I made some notes. Um, so, Paul begins talking about uh, Christ coming down, Christ being raised up from the dead, and he says, this story, this story of Christ, is the word of faith that we preach. And then he gets down to brass tacks and talks about what this has to do with you and with me. If you believe in your heart, the you there is singular, incidentally, if you believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, and if you confess, and then here are our three words in English, Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Um, now, you can't just say the words. You've got to mean it. Right? It has to be a sincere confession. And, and it has to uh, be the point uh, at which we commit ourselves to a life uh, of service to Christ. Right? That's, that's implied in confessing Jesus as Lord. But this is the way you get on board with what God has done in the world for us and our salvation and for the salvation of all humankind. It all begins with the confession, Jesus is Lord. Elsewhere, um, Paul reminds the Corinthians about this, about this confession, and he speaks more broadly about uh, how he introduced them to this conviction. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Corinthians had a lot of problems living out the implications of the gospel. And so Paul had to remind them a good bit of what he had taught them before and what they had committed to when they entered the Christian faith. And we all who come after them ought to be grateful that the Corinthians had as much trouble living as servants of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ as we do because we get the benefit of all Paul's explanations. Here's one of them in 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. If our gospel is veiled, if our gospel, the message we preach of Christ crucified and risen, if that message is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul summarizes his message here, his preaching, in slightly different wording than he uses in Romans chapter 10. Paul obviously said a lot uh, when he introduced people to the gospel, and we get summaries and remembrances of his preaching, I'm guessing to introduce the gospel to folks who had never heard of Jesus before. Paul talked at least as long as I'm going to talk this morning. Probably longer, probably several times. There was a lot of backstory uh, uh, that he would supply, and, and we just get summary statements in his letters. 
What he says we preach is we preach Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the message that we bring people. Um, that's the one that's three words in Greek, four words in English. I'm going to pull a Mitch and ask if you'd say with me, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul's sermon, reduced to its essentials, had three points. Jesus, the Christ, is Lord. Um, let's look at each one of them. Jesus is the name of a human being, the name of Mary's boy, somebody that you could meet if you went on the Sabbath to synagogue in Nazareth around about the year 28, 29 um, A.D. He was a human being of flesh and blood, just like you and me. He loved his mother. He loved her husband, Joseph. We're not told exactly how Jesus uh, was introduced to the circumstances of his birth. You can imagine maybe it was a lot uh, to take on board. Jesus had a human consciousness just like ours. He learned how to walk and to talk just like you and me. He learned a different language, Aramaic, that is foreign to us. He heard the scriptures read in Hebrew and he heard the rabbi down at the synagogue interpret those scriptures in Aramaic. And so he was introduced as a human being to the same story of creation and redemption and salvation uh, that we're introduced to when we pick up the Old Testament and begin to read it. He was the writer to the Hebrews that our class has been studying, tempted in all points as we are. And yet, as Jesus grew, as his human consciousness developed, he came to realize, and those around him came to realize, there was something different about him. The human experience, apart from Jesus, Paul summarizes by referring to the figure of Adam. Adam, who disobeyed God, who rejected the Creator, and said, I know you made me. I know you made me in this way. I know you made me to seek these things. I've got a different idea. Um, I think I'll try something else. And apart from Christ, every human being who has ever lived has played out a version of that story, that rebellion against God. That was not part of Jesus' human consciousness. What the Creator, what the Father in Heaven called Jesus to do, He did. And so, when Jesus went out to be baptized by John the Baptist at the Jordan, John was calling people to uh, repent and to fully obey God, to commit themselves fully to Him. When Jesus went, coming up out of the water, well, the Gospels tell us, um, He saw the heavens open, He saw a dove, 
descending on him from the Father in heaven. And he heard a voice that said, You, Jesus, are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased, our versions translate. If you translate the Greek more literally, it's I have been well pleased. All that you have done, the Father says, has pleased me. You are my son. And so Jesus went on to teach and to heal. He taught, the Gospels tell us, not like the scribes. You know the type, right? The folks who make notes and turn up scriptures and talk about them. Not like that. Jesus talked about the Father. Jesus talked about God like He was the Father in whose home He had grown up. And who taught Him all that He knew to do. That's what fathers did for their sons. Uh, in antiquity. You, did, you didn't grow up and pick what you were going to do. Your Father taught you here's, how you. here's how you make it. Here's how you make a living. Here's what you do. Jesus grew up in the Father's house and knew him intimately, and so could speak about it. And he went on to crucifixion and to resurrection. The Gospels are all an expansion on this first word in Paul's confession, the word Jesus. He's the human being that people met in the first century and in whom they met the very Son of God. A, a staggering uh, realization. Think what it would be like. Peter makes his confession in the middle of the story that Matthew and Mark and Luke tells us. You, Jesus, are the Christ, uh, the Son of the living God. What would, it, what would it have been like to come to that realization? Well, that's Paul's second point. Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul says, Jesus, the Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One who has had oil or something poured out on Him. In the Old Testament, um, the way that you consecrated something for God's service, the way that you set it apart for Him, was you smeared oil across it or poured oil out on it. You could do it with a king, you could do it with a prophet, you could do it with a priest, you could do it with a pillar uh, in the temple. The, the, the anointing with oil uh, uh, said, this belongs to God. This is for His service. Jesus' anointing isn't literally with oil. It's that anointing at the baptism, the pouring out of God's Spirit upon Jesus that consecrated Jesus for God's service. The ministry that Jesus exercised the healing, the preaching, the teaching, the suffering, the resurrection. They were all carried out in the power of God's Spirit. Um, and in that image, the Father pouring <coughs> out His Spirit upon the Son, in that image, we have the seed from which the doctrine of the Trinity grew in the first five or so centuries of the church. 
Doctrine of the Trinity is one of the most uh, uh, challenging things uh, to, to understand uh, and, and to come to some sense of. It begins with this word, Christ, the Anointed One. Jesus is the Christ. The Christ, the Anointed One in the Old Testament, is uh, most often is the king. He is the one on whom we read God has bestowed his righteousness. That's Psalm 72. He is the son, Psalm 2, who, uh, who acts in, on the earth in God's stead. Um, he is like Adam and Eve in the garden. He is, as it were, in the image and likeness of God. His mission is to bring about God's will on the earth now uh, and among his people. Now, if you read the Old Testament, uh, it's a story of disappointment, uh, right? Even the good kings fall well short of that, and you only get a few uh, uh, good kings. Jesus is the one who lives up to the hype. Uh, Jesus is the one who really does enact the will of God, first in his life, and then shares the spirit in which the will of God can be, uh, can be realized, shares that spirit with his disciples, and with their disciples, and with their disciples, and so on, and so on, and so on, down to us. In a fellowship that God wants to see embrace all of humankind, so that God's will is done every is done everywhere, as in heaven, so on earth, just as we prayed uh, this morning. So, Jesus, the Christ, the one who really does fulfill all God's purposes for us human beings and if we'll let him for all creation Jesus Christ is Lord um, this too is an echo of scripture may not be apparent first read around in uh, Paul's other letters and, and uh, you'll see it in Romans chapter 8 and verse 34 for example one of the Psalms that talks about the Messiah the 110th Psalm begins, um, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make, uh, till I have pleasure in these beneath your feet. Um, pretty simple words, seemingly. It's a little more complicated if you look at them as Jesus would have heard them read uh, in the synagogue. The Lord at the beginning of that verse is the covenant name of God. Um, it's four letters in Hebrew. Did you come to church to count and hear about languages? Was that what you were looking for this morning? Uh, we can help you out. Um, four letters in Hebrew, um, the equivalent of Y-H-W-H. Uh, it's the word from which, through a kind of misreading, the word Jehovah uh, was coined uh, uh, in Latin and then brought over into English. But it's the very covenant name of God is the point. It's usually translated 
um, uh, it, it, it was read aloud in synagogues and translated into Greek with the word Lord. And so that's how the psalm verse ends up sounding like that word is repeated. In some mysterious way, early Christians read this verse, Jesus, the one who is invited to sit at God's right hand in the resurrection and in the ascension, Jesus is associated with the Lord. He shares God's identity. Um, and that's the heart of the doctrine of the Incarnation, which again is elaborated on and argued over uh, and, and some uh, consensus uh, uh, finally achieved in the 4th, 5th centuries um, of, the, uh, of the church. All right, Jesus Christ, his Lord then, has a kind of, uh, what, uh, esoteric meaning, it's difficult to grasp meaning. It's also got a straightforward meaning. If Jesus Christ is Lord, if he is the one who has authority, then Jesus Christ has servants. Jesus Christ has those whom he commands. When we confess Jesus as Lord, when we associate ourselves with this Messiah, this Christ, we're saying, I'm going to live now as Jesus' servant. I'm going to do what Jesus says. Jesus teaches both by word and by example. I'm going to live as Jesus lived as Jesus devoted himself to the service of others, even to the point of death, as we've sung about this morning, I'm going to devote myself to the service of others. With God's help, I'll do that even to the point of death, as Christians in those early centuries did. Um, and so, uh, to respond to Paul's gospel is to commit ourselves to the service of Christ to the service of others to live as he lived um, for the word Lord we could just as easily translate master uh, the one who has authority the one who has ownership Jesus is Lord of all the world ultimately we sang about that in all together praise our God also this morning and in our first hymn, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Jesus is ultimately to be Lord of the world. He is Lord of the church. He is master of those who have responded to the gospel and committed themselves to him. He's my Lord. He's the Lord that I follow. I made this confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. Have you ever had a good boss don't raise your hand. You might have worked for someone else uh, you know, in the room. Don't want to embarrass you. My impression is they're rare. But they're precious if you ever had one. A good boss supports us in the work that we're capable of doing and makes it possible for us to be the best servants of others that we can be in the roles that we're fulfilling. 
Jesus is the best boss. If we will follow the commands of our minister, if we'll live true to the confession, Jesus Christ is Lord, we will become, as the cliche goes, our best selves. We will become better than our best selves. If we'll open ourselves to the transforming work of His Spirit, we will find ourselves transformed bit by bit, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, into the very image of Christ, into His likeness, and will be God's children, will be God's sons and daughters, in the same way that Jesus was. That's the road that we've stepped onto. If we have confessed Jesus as Messiah, if we have confessed Jesus as Lord, it's the road that we recommit ourselves to this morning as we share in our confession of faith. Uh, it, is, it is the road to which Christians are called. We're going to sing number 324, Sinners Jesus Will Receive. And Jesus does receive us, but He won't leave us in our sin. It will open ourselves to the service of this man. He'll transform us into His image and likeness, and he'll make us a blessing to others as he has blessed us. Let us stand.